ask that you would teach us this lesson today. And uh, I think, uh, Lord, uh, we want to we want to see this church grow, but not so much in numbers, Lord, but but in human beings that come to know Jesus Christ, prodigals that are out there in the pig pen that don't understand uh, what's going on in this world. Lord, help us to be vessels of light. That's what you've chosen us to be. And we just ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to, to be able to do what you've called us to do. Father, I just ask for a special blessing on our study today. And Lord, I just ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. The title of today's text, Ask a Question, or the, uh, and that is the title that I gave this message, and that is, uh, How Do We Save the Prodigal Son? Now, most of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, and I'm not going to go over the whole story again, but, but you know that the prodigal son represents a lost person who's living in the world, in the pigsty of this world, and they're, they finally give up on, 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 on life, and, and they come to a point where they really let go, and they seek God, and God's there. God's always there. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, let me tell you what, He's there. He's waiting on you to come to Him into a close relationship. He's waiting on you to make Him your God, and, and your father. That's what he wants to be. And so, so that's the story of the prodigal son. And, and uh, today what I want to do is answer that question, how do we save? Or what's our part in saving the prodigal son? I mean, what part does the church play in leading people uh, to Christ? Vance Hefner, Hefner used to say that uh, the liberal church is uh, ministered to the prodigal son. If the liberal church had ministered to the prodigal son, this is what they would have done. They would have taken him out of the pig pen. They would have given him a nice suit. They would have fed him a good meal. They would have given him some cash and he never would have gone home to the father. And that's what a lot of churches do. Havner is exactly right. Uh, a lot of churches prioritize meeting people's physical needs over meeting their spiritual needs. And, uh, and what happens then is the opposite. They really don't help a person doing that sometimes, or most of the time, what they do, they enable a person to stay in the pig pen. And so our job, we want to get people out of the pig pen of this world and bring them into the kingdom of God. So just how do we do that? Well, Paul, I think, is going to show us how in the last chapter of 2 Thessalonians today. So, so go with me there and, and let's pick up in, in verse number one. And Paul says something. He says, quite often, he says, finally, brethren. So you got to figure this is going to be a real short sermon today, right? Because we're almost done. And we're going to be done when we're done with 2 Thessalonians. Well, good luck. That's just the beginning of, of uh, chapter three. Don't ever trust a preacher when he says, finally, brethren, because he's just getting started good. But what does he say here? He, he says, pray for us. He asked the Thessalonians to pray for him. Now I want you to notice what he doesn't ask them to pray for him for. He doesn't ask them to pray that uh, he can uh, be, have the goods to meet the needs of the poor or that he can have medicine to give to the sick or that he can have the building materials to build shelters for the homeless. Those are all good things. But Paul is putting priority on his prayers, not for the physical needs of the lost, but for the spiritual needs. And I want you to look at what he asks here. He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord might run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Is the word glorified with you? The word's glorified with me, not necessarily in me but it's certainly a major part of my life. And that's what Paul says. I want it to be even more of a major part of my life, just as it is with you. I want the word of the Lord to spread swiftly and be glorified. Now that's kind of an unusual metaphor there that he uses for the spread of the word of God, isn't it? He says that it may run swiftly. I mean, how does the word run? How does the word run? 
Let me tell you how the word runs. The word want, runs through this world, wor, world because the word is with us. The word is in you. I mean, we should all be in this word so that we have the mind of Christ. And, and we speak the mind of Christ. We speak the things of Christ. We speak the word. And so that's how the word runs swiftly through the world. And Paul was certainly a man of God. He was a man of the word. And wherever he went, wherever he ran, and he ran throughout the world, he was taking the word with him. And then look what he says. He says that the word is to be glorified just as it is with you. What does he mean the word is to be glorified? Well, first of all, the word is none other than Jesus Christ. He's the Logos. He's the word. And so with everything we do, we want to glorify Jesus Christ. But I think he has a deeper meaning here. I think he's talking about the word of God. And what he's talking about here when he says the word be glorified, he's talking about the word being prioritized in all our ministry, in all of our lives. And so we want to give the word first place in all that we do. And again, that's where I believe a lot of ministries go wrong. They don't prioritize the word. They prioritize ministering to the poor, ministering to the sick, and ministering to the helpless. And I don't want to sound harsh here, but, but, and those are good things to do, but that is not our priority. Somebody gave me a book to read by Philip Yesley and Paul Brand, and, I, and it's, it's, a, it's a great book. And it's entitled Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. If you want a book on how the body works and how the, maybe the church should work, it's a good book to read. It's a really good book to read. But I'm about three quarters of the way through the book, and I've yet to hear them. Hear, it's about a doctor who's ministered to, to lepers in, in, in India and, and some lepers in the United States, and he's ministering to the poor, and he's doing surgeries for the poor, and all of that sounds really good. And I'm hearing all of these stories in each chapter. You've got a story about him ministering and some, some great successes he's had in some surgeries and stuff, but there's not one incident where he talks about somebody getting saved by the word of God. And there's not one word said about the word of God. And let me give you an example here. And again, using his book here, he talks about a Hindu lady in, the, in Madras, India, who has this, who's a beggar and she has this large tumor and he operates and he takes the large tumor out. And then he comes back to the United States. And he says, he says, as he came back to the American, I'm reading out of the book now, uh, directly quoting it. He said he couldn't get the memory of this madras woman out of his mind. This woman who was starving to death while this giant tumor was growing on her, under her chin, on her neck. And he just couldn't get her out of his mind. And then he, he said, I, I go to the churches in America. And he it, it, let me read it so I get it exactly right. He says, then in America we saw churches heatedly discussing their million dollar gymnasiums and the cost of landscaping and fertilizer and a new steeple. Now, what, were, what was the question that uh, Yancey and Brand were raising there in, in that book? That what they were asking was, couldn't the money that they were spending on all these church facilities be better spent on helping the poor? Now, that question is a quite common question that we all ask ourselves when we bought this building here. We spent a good bit of money on this building. Might not look like it to you, but we spent a good bit of money. You spent it. And uh, you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> but we, spent, we all spent a good bit of money. I mean, maybe we should have taken that money and gone out to Girard Park and fed the poor or, or clothed the homeless. And on the surface, that all sounds really good. And so you ask that question, would the money be better spent helping the poor? And the obvious answer to that question is yes. But not necessarily. Not necessarily. There's a wing of the church that is engaged in something we call the social gospel. Uh, there's a lot of denominations that spend most of their money or a lot of their money on the social gospel. And it sounds good. And what the social gospel is, it meets, it's the gospel that says, hey, you bring Jesus to people by meeting their physical needs. And it prioritizes 
meeting physical needs over meeting spiritual needs. But let me ask you this question. Is it better to pump millions of dollars into helping Hindu and Muslim lepers or who not where in probably most cases none of them get saved or is it better to build a building in America where people come to church and they get saved every week? See, you can't really judge a ministry by how they spend their money. You judge a ministry by the ministry's goal. If the goal of the ministry is to prioritize the word of God, to lift up the word of God, to bring people to Jesus Christ, if, they, if we build a gymnasium in order to bring people in there to, to, to witness to, to bring people in there that we can get coming into the church in order to, to get them to the Lord, then that's money well spent. Now, if we build a gymnasium so that, that, that we can have the best basketball team in Lafayette, that's not money well spent. You understand how the goal determines whether or not you're a good steward or not? And so there are a lot of ministries out there, a lot of ministries. I mean, they go into these places in India and they go into, into Bangladesh and all of these terrible places and they feed the poor and they heal, the, they don't heal the leopards, but they give them medicine and they, they treat uh, all sorts of medical diseases and and they build shelters for people, and all of that sounds good. But if the goal is just to help them with their physical needs, don't you understand that that's not prioritizing the Word of God, and that's not going to win anybody to Jesus Christ. And so whatever ministry we do, there's nothing wrong with having a ministry to the poor. There's nothing wrong with having a ministry to the homeless. But your ministry to the homeless, if you have a ministry to the homeless, better first of all be that you're going in to that a homeless person in order to get him saved. Otherwise, God might have him homeless so that he can get him saved. And you might give him, build him a nice home and all you've done is kept him from ever getting to the Lord. And so we've got to let the Lord guide whatever we do in our ministries. And, and often I think making life easier for the, for the person we're trying to minister to is not necessarily the right way to go. Wait a minute now, Pastor. Didn't Jesus teach? Now, wait a minute. Didn't he teach that we're to feed the poor, we're to shelter, build, shelter the homeless, and we're to minister to the sick and those who are in prison? He certainly taught that. But that is not our priority. That is not our priority. You've you got to take the whole word in context. What's our priority in ministering to the poor and ministering to the sick and, and, and helping the homeless? It's to get them saved. Jesus himself, you know, we looked at this passage last week. Turn with me to John chapter 6. Jesus himself told the people that were following him and they were seeing all these signs and they were poor people and he fed these poor people and, and, and you know, he could have, he could have fed every person in the world just by his word. He could have said, I want everybody to be full. I want everybody to have a nice mansion. I want everybody to have a nice life. And he could have done that. And then nobody would have got saved. And even these people that he helped, they weren't understanding what he was trying to do. So go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We look, I, I quoted this verse last week or read this verse to you last week, but I want you to read it yourself. And I want to talk about it a minute. These people had seen him do these miracles and he had fed the, the 5,000 with just a few loaves and a few fish. And then in verse 26, they came following after him and they wanted, they wanted more of that. They wanted more bread and more fish and more goodies. They wanted him to rule, rule, rule to destroy Rome and, and rule the world. They, they wanted him as their king because they wanted him to fulfill their physical needs. You see that? And look at what he says to him in verse number 26 of chapter 6. He says, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. You understand what he's saying there? I gave you bread and I gave you fish. I took a few fish and I took a few loaves of bread and I multiplied that. And I gave that to you not just to feed your belly. 
I gave that to you as a sign so that you could see who I am, that you could see that I'm the son of God. But you didn't see that because you saw the signs. He says, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. That's the reason you should be seeking me. You should be seeking after me. Your motive deep in your heart should be, and that's, check this on, for, we all need to check ourselves on this. Why are we seeking after Jesus? Our motive at, to seeking after Jesus is because Jesus is God. He, is, he died for our sins and he wants to save us and he wants to make us righteous. He wants to make us fit for the kingdom of God so we can have all of these things, but, but not seek the things, we seek him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye Jesus so you can get things and you're going to have this in reverse and that's what they were doing. And so he says, most assuredly I say to you, uh, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs but because you, are of, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life. What's the food that endures to everlasting life? It's the word of God. It's the Logos. It's Jesus Christ. He endures to everlasting life. How do we find Jesus? We find Jesus in the word of God. Listen to me. If you're not in the word of God, you will never find Jesus. He is the word. All you're going to be dealing with if you don't get into the Word, you're going to be dealing with some historical figure who died on the cross and you're going to know some facts about him, but you don't know him and he doesn't know you and you're not saved, you're not born again. And so you have to be in the Word if you're going to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, do not labor on food that perishes. How much time do we spend laboring on food that perishes, on stuff that perishes. He says, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Man, I'll tell you what, that's why you glorify the word. That's why you prioritize the word in all your ministry, in all your life, which the Son of Man will give you. Everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, no cost. He'll give it to you. Because God the Father has, has set his seal on him. Now, look at verse number 2 back in 2 Thessalonians. I told you that finally was a, we were just getting started. He says in verse number 2, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith. Let me tell you what. There are a lot of people out there who look like they're doing a wonderful ministry for God. But they do not have faith. How do you know they don't have faith? When they don't prioritize, they don't glorify the word of God in all that they do. Now see, that's what bothers me about that book. I mean, here I go through three quarters of a chapter and I don't hear one thing about Jesus Christ being lifted up and being glorified. And so you can do this wonderful ministry. You can give your life to the poor. You can give your life to the homeless. You can give your life to building shepherd, I mean shelters. But if you don't know the shepherd, if you don't know God, if you don't know the word, if you don't prioritize the word, then you don't have faith at all. Because listen to me, listen very carefully, and that's not just my opinion. Listen to me very carefully. Faith comes from hearing, Romans 10, 17, and hearing from the word of God. If you don't have the word of God, you don't have faith. And any ministry that does not prioritize the word of God, any person who does not prioritize the word of God, does not have faith. You can call yourself a Christian until you're blue in the face, but you can't have faith without the word of God because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. It's as simple as that. And so you have these church members 
right in your midst who claim to have faith. And really what they are, they're very unreasonable and wicked men and women. And I've seen this in my ministry. I remember, boy, I got a rude awakening when I took my first pastoring. And we had a guy in the church who, who, who was a deacon in the church and he didn't like black people. And black people would come to our church and when they visited, he would be the first one to see him. I said, what a nice guy. And then on a Monday night when I went to visitation one night, I went and talked to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the black people who visited and they said, we're never coming back to your church. Because the guy, one of your deacons told us we weren't welcome there. Well, I immediately called a meeting of the board and I said, hey, this guy's got to go or I'm going. We're not going to have this in this church. And they said, you, they, they didn't make me go. At that point, they didn't make me go. But they, <laughs> but they, but they made him go. And he left. Well, I got a call one day on the telephone and he threatened my life. You know, I've been threatened. People threaten me all the time. You don't know that, but I, people get, I don't know why people get mad at me. I'm such a nice guy. <laughs> but they, they got, he got mad at me, and he threatened my life. And i got to tell you, this guy's voice changed. And I could hear de demons in his voice. It was, it was spooky. It was scary. I was a little preacher. I wasn't that young, but I was, it scared me. But, you know, God told me, I, I, I think he spoke to my heart at that time, let me take this. And but let me tell you what, that guy said he was going to take me down. God took him down. And that's what God will do for you. But, but, but there are people like that in the church, and they get into power. You know how you can spot them? You can spot them because they've got all these plans for social gospel type ministries. And they could care less about the word of God. They could care less about the word of God. And faith comes from here and hearing from the word of God. And so if they don't care less about the word of God, if they care less about the word of God, then they don't have faith. And then look at what he says now in, in uh, verse number four. And we have confidence. Look, there are a lot of people out there who, uh, am I missing a verse here? Yeah, yeah, we got to go to three. I, I knew I was missing something. They don't all have faith, and they're not going to all treat you right. And, and there are wicked and un unreasonable men and women in the church, but, hey, we don't have to worry about that. Because verse number three, it says the Lord is faithful. When you're around a bunch of people who are unfaithful, let me tell you what, if you're faithful, even if you're not faithful and you know the Lord, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful and who will establish and guard you from the evil one. These wicked and unreasonable people are placed in the church to cause you grief by the devil. But the Lord will establish you. He will make you stand and he will guard you from the evil one. So if somebody comes at you in the church and somebody threatens you, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about it. I don't worry about it because I got there's guys in here packing. So I'm, you know, I don't worry about it at all. Y'all want to know who they are? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. But I, you know what? I don't care if they're packing or not because I know the Lord is going to protect me. I don't care what, who comes at me. And, and usually it's not something physical. It's something personal, something spiritual, some critical thing that people come at you about some gossip about you that you hear about but 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 God is going to protect us from that he's going to establish us he's going to make us stand that's what that word means and he's going to guard us from the evil one and then verse number four and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you look none of we're not prodigals any longer we've come to the father and so Paul says I've got confidence concerning you both that you do and will do the things that we command you. In other words, Paul says, I got confidence you're going to do the right thing. You're no longer a prodigal. You're no longer in the pig pen. You know the word of God. You know the things I've written in these epistles. You know the things that I've commanded you. And you're, and you're going to do those things because we have confidence in you because we know that you're truly born again. And then Paul, you know, Paul refers to these commands that he gave the Thessalonians. And, and, and we actually see these in this 
uh, second book of Thessalonians, and, and uh, he gives them like four commands. And let me, let me look at those commands. Let's look at those commands real quickly here as we finish up. First of all, we've got to go back a little bit to get the first command. He gave that in chapter 2, verse number 15, when he said, stand fast. This was, this was an imperative. That means keep standing, hold fast to your faith, and hold to the tra- traditions which you were taught, whether by word or whether by epistle. Now, again, they didn't have a King James Bible or a New King James Bible like you do. All they had was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they had these epistles and these maybe a gospel or two. You know, they had, they had something to hang on to. So what, that's what he's calling traditions there. He's talking about the word that was given to you by the apostles through the Old Testament. He says, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, uh, either by word or by epistle. And so... Uh, that's the first command that he gave us. And really he summarizes that word in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Look there. Here's a summary of the whole word of God. He says in, in, in chapter uh, 2, verses 13 and 14, he says, God from the beginning chose you. He talked, remember he talked about election. For salvation through sanctification. He talked about Sanctification. And salvation, and how do we save? We're saved through sanctification. By the Spirit and belief in the Word. So you've got to prioritize the Word. To which he called you by our gospel. You were called, there's the doctrine of calling, for the obtaining of the glorification, your glorification, for the glory, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'll tell you what, that's a tall order. To stand fast in the Word, to stand fast in your faith, that is not easy in a world that's spinning out of control. It's very difficult. It's not easy when the church is becoming more and more apostate by the minute. And so the only way you can stand fast is to stand fast in the word. And, and that's God directs your hearts through the word. So look again at 2 Thessalonians and look at verse number 5. He says, now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience and uh, really talking about the endurance of Jesus Christ. It's the Lord that does that. You know, if you're standing fast, you're standing fast because the Lord is holding you up. He's the one who holds you up. He holds you up through his word, the power of his word. If If you would just test this, let me tell you, the word of God is supernatural. It can change your heart. It can encourage you. It can give you courage. It can give you patience. And it can give you endurance. It is supernatural. Test it. Test it. I mean, get into the Word and begin to read the Word in submission to God and say, God, I'm going to obey your Word. I want to hear your Word. And you begin to read the Word. And that Word will change you supernaturally. It will cause you to stand fast. That's how you stand fast. It's by grace. It's by grace we stand fast. But it's, by the, but, it's, but it's through the word of God. Then Paul gives us the second commandment that he gave the Thessalonians, which he gives to us. Look at verse number six. He says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. We were talking about uh, unreasonable and wicked so-called Christians in our midst. Watch what he says. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every person who calls himself a brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition or the word which they, he received from us. Now, that's pretty harsh. If you know someone who's walking disorderly and at the same time they're calling themselves a Christian, then you're to withdraw from them, not from Lost people now. We want to hang around those lost people. Not We don't hang around them in bars. We don't hang around them in, in strip clubs. We hang around them though. At work or wherever God places us. Not We don't go, use that as an excuse to go places we know we shouldn't go. But if we have a person who's calling themselves a brother or a sister. And they're living disorderly. They're living against the word of God. Then we're to withdraw ourselves from them. We're to withdraw ourselves from them. 
For you yourselves know, verse number seven, how you ought to follow us. You know because you have the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. And Paul said, we set the example for you because we weren't disorderly. Paul says, hey, I'm not a carouser. I'm not a bum. Uh, I'm not a busybody. We set an example for you when we came to you. They were only there three weeks. Paul sets an example for us. We've never seen the Apostle Paul. One day you will see the Apostle Paul. But we haven't seen him as of yet. But I know the Apostle Paul better than I know a lot of people. Because I read his epistles and I read the book of Acts. And I, and I, and I learn about this guy. You learn a lot about him. You know, Paul really spills out his heart in the word of God. And so you know the guy really well. And so, hey, he sets a great example for all of us. The humble guy who, who also lived righteously. Once Jesus saved him, he gave it his all. Man, what a neat guy. He gave it his all. Every ounce of strength, every single day, he lived for the Lord. And then in verse number 8, watch this. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but work with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We, this is the example we set. Not because we don't have the authority, because we do. You owe us. I mean, we saved you guys. We, we risk our lives for you guys. You, you should have fed us. You should have given us money. But we didn't want that. He says, but we didn't use that authority so as to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded this to you. Now watch this statement. You're not going to hear this in a lot of ministries. If anyone will not work, our federal government needs to read this verse. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Don't give them any food. If they don't want to work, don't give them any food. Now that sounds pretty harsh. But let me tell you what you do. You go down up on Ambassador Caffrey today and, and, and come off the Interstate 10, exit on Ambassador Caffrey, you'll come to that light and you'll see a sign there that says, we'll work for food. Roll down your window and tell them you got some work for them and you won't see them, they'll vanish from you. Because they're not there because, the reason they're there begging is because they don't want to work. That's, that's, the case for a lot of people. Roll down your window next time you're on Ambassador Caffrey, and you know what I do? I say, hey, come to church with me. I don't go that way anymore, so I don't have that. But I used to see it every Sunday, every Wednesday when I'd come in. And what I'd do is roll down my window. Hey, jump in the car, go to church with me, and I'll buy you a steak when we get done. Or a hamburger. And, and I never got anybody to take, take me up on that. Now, you know, I don't want to sound merciless, but don't you understand when you're giving that person money, when, you, when you're giving that person money, more than likely he's not going to spend it on food, he's going to spend it on booze. And what you're doing, you're enabling that person to stay in the pig pen. And so that's not right. And I, and I think it's great that, you, I mean, my heart goes out to those guys and, and, and I want to help them. And, and I'm not trying to be cheap by not helping them, but I know I'm not helping them by giving them money. And, and I mean, there are so many cases like that. We've tried so hard. How many times we've tried to help people through benevolence through this ministry right here. You know, you go to a motel to place somebody's bill who said they're stranded out of town and the guy at the motel tells you she's shacked up with a couple of guys and her kids are running loose all over the hotel. And she's been getting money for churches for three weeks. That's what you hear. Or you go to, you buy, go to Sam's and you buy, you know, a, a couple of boxes of groceries and you take it to the hotel. The hotel doors open and they're taking their syringes out of their arms when you walk up. See, it's really hard to help people in this world and you're not helping them just by meeting their physical needs. Paul says, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now I'm going to sound like a liberal for a minute. I believe in food stamps. I think food stamps are a great thing. If somebody is hungry, 
then food stamps are great. If they can't work and they need food, I think food stamps are great. If they're working their tails off and they don't make a money, enough money, and let me tell you, it takes a lot of money to buy groceries. And, and they use those food stamps to supplement their, their grocery uh, stash because they, they don't have enough money to buy any groceries. Well, I'm all for that. But there's a lot of people who are on food stamps because they don't want to work. And at some point, the government has to put some kind of check on that. And I'm not trying to be political here, but Paul says, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Because we're not helping them when we do that. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, for we hear that there are some of you who walk, who walk among you in a disorderly manner. Now, he was talking about the unreasonable and the, unright, uh, and the wicked. Now he's talking about some other people here, and they're, 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 they're uh, disorderly. He says, for we hear that there are some among you, in, some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all. And they got lots of time. And so you know what they are? They're busybodies. You ever known any busybodies? They don't have anything better to do than to talk about other people. To stick their nose into other people's business. I, I love Paul. Because I, I've known some people like that and I felt guilty when I told them off. Paul would have told them off. You're a busybody. Don't be a busybody. You're a gossip. Don't be a gossip. And look, we all gossip at times. So I'm not casting stones, but we don't, that's not right. He says, now those who are such, we command and exhort you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We command them that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Buy their own stuff. Eat their own bread. See, that's a command. That's the third command he gives right here. That they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Let me tell you what. God wants every one of his children to have work. He wants us to work to pay our bills. And he wants us to work for him in his kingdom. And the way we work is an, with an attitude of quietness. With an attitude of quietness. And that quietness means that we mind our own business. We do not stick our noses into everybody else's business. That also means that we're not to be obnoxious in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing worse than an obnoxious Christian who just keeps pushing Jesus Christ down your throat. That's not the gospel. That's not the way we spread the gospel. Look, the Lord himself doesn't push the gospel on people. Who are we to think we're to push people into the kingdom of God? What we're to do, we're to lead a quiet life. Try that sometimes. We're to lead a quiet life, not minding our own business, doing our work and working hard unto the Lord, serving the Lord, and we don't have to say anything. You know, you realize that people are going to realize when you do that that there's something special and different about you because that is not the way of the world. They're going to know that something special about you and they're going to ask you, man, why are you so quiet? Why don't you ever... Tell dirty jokes. Why don't you ever gossip? Why don't you ever get in with the game? And, and you don't have to do, you know, they're going to come to you. Then you've got to be ready to give every man an answer for the hope that you have in you. You've got to tell them, hey, man, I, got, I, I love the Lord. I love Jesus. Why you love Jesus? You can tell them why you love Jesus. And then you can give them the, share them the, with them the gospel. But we get this thing all in reverse, and we start trying to pound the gospel like a hammer on people's head. And it's never going to work. It might work in, you know, a rare case, but that's not the norm or normal way we want to do that. We wait for our opportunity. And then he gives the fourth commandment in, that he gives in 2 Thessalonians in verse number 13. Again, Paul's not putting us under a law. He's not putting us under some kind of 
burdensome commandments. These are things that we do naturally as Christians. And he says, he says here's, it's an exhortation as much as it is a command. He says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary of doing good. You know, the, what's the primary good that we're to do? We're to lead the prodigals back to the Father. We're to lead the lost to Jesus Christ. That's our primary good. And I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but there's times I get weary doing that. Because I pray for people and they don't ever seem to come around. You know, I, I, you help them out with their physical needs that they don't ever seem to come around. When you get whatever little opportunity you get, you share the gospel with them and they don't ever seem to come around. And what Paul says to us all, it's a command, don't grow weary. That's an attitude, don't quit. Hang in there with them, keep praying for them, quit, keep helping them. Be sure when you're helping them, you're not enabling them. Do good for them. Don't be quiet. Don't gossip. Be kind to them. Show kindness. And you know what? If they don't come around, maybe they won't. If you keep doing that, you're going to be a better person yourself because you did that. And then now he finishes up beginning in verse number 14, he says, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him. And what's your purpose? To get back at them because you hate them? No, so that they might be ashamed. You know, you know someone who's able to work and they don't work? Hey, don't give them money. Don't enable them. Don't even keep company with them. Or kind of keep them at a distance. In love. You do that in love. You do that because you want them to come around. You want them to come out of the pit. You want them to come out of the pigsty. And, and that's true for busybodies and gossips. Let me tell you what. If you're a busybody and a gossip... I don't want to hang around you, and I'm not going to hang around you. I, I was telling somebody the other day, when somebody comes up to me and tells me, well, you ain't going to believe what so-and-so said, I, I, unless it's really juicy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I have been guilty, boy. I, I got to hear this one. <laughs> but when I'm on my A game... <laughs> When I'm on my A game, I'm full of the spirit. I say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to talk about anybody. I, I, I don't want to go there. Uh, I, I, you know, and, and, and that, let me tell you what, you do that with somebody, they won't, they won't come to you again with any guys because you embarrass them. I, the, some, I've had people do that to me. Nathan was, taught us, taught me that. I'm not going to say taught Brenda because, well, she's back there in the nursery. I mean, back there in the, she's there. What? Look at her like a spy back there. <laughs> but I, I had a bad habit of gossiping for a while and, and I would talk to Nathan about something about somebody and Nathan would say, Dad, that's gossip. Oh, I'm the preacher. You can't talk to me like that. I'm your dad. <laughs> But he did that enough times that I knew I wasn't going to gossip with Nathan. And, and it was so embarrassing, I, I learned from that. Gossip is, gossip, gossip is bad. Gossip is the epitome of pride. When we're gossiping about somebody else, what are we doing? We're trying to lift ourselves up. That's, that's, what, that's all it is. And so don't, and, and you know what? I got to give you credit. We've had a couple of incidents that have happened in this church really, really bad. Let me tell you about them. <laughs> but I, I imagine some of you have heard about some of these incidences, but I didn't hear it running through the church rampant 
with gossip. And I was really proud of this church because it didn't happen. And we're a small church. So it would be very easy for us to just sit there and talk bad about these people who did these terrible things. And it didn't happen in this church. And I think that's really, really good. So, but, and, and if it does happen, and you know somebody who's constant, all of us are going to gossip at times. We're all going to fail at this at times. But when you know somebody who's a constant gossip, then don't hang out with them. You don't hang out with them not because you don't love them. You hang out with them to make them ashamed. And you tell them, look, I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to engage in gossip. And you make them ashamed. And, and, and you do that in love. Because look at what he says in verse number 15. He says, so, so don't count him as an enemy, as totally hopeless, but admonish him as a brother. And, and even if he's not a brother, you treat everyone as if they're potential brothers and sisters in Christ. And now, finally, brethren. We'll close this thing up. Finally, brethren. Well, really, we're going to close it. <laughs> and we're going to do the first chapter of Revelation. No. Finally, brethren, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Is that not a beautiful blessing Paul gives us right there? By the Spirit of God. How do you get peace? The Lord gives you peace. You're not going to find peace in this world. You're not going to find peace chasing the things of this world. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Is that possible? Yes, that's possible. If you're in a strong relationship with the Lord, you're going to have peace in every way, in every circumstance, no matter what happens. And this world is full of trials and tribulations. You're going to have peace in every way. By the supernatural grace of God, you will have peace if you're in a relationship with God. And if we don't have peace, it's because we're drifting away from God because God is peace. And so if I'm in my, a strong relationship with God, I have peace in every way. And then he says in verse 17, and then he says in the last part of verse 16, we don't want to be, miss that. The Lord be with you all. You know what Paul's saying there? How many people is the Lord with? The Lord's with all the people who have been born again. He will never leave you or forsake you. He sealed you with his Holy Spirit. But we don't always realize that, do we? So Paul's pronouncing this blessing on you and me and the Thessalonians and he's saying the Lord be with you all in a way that you know he's with you. And then you can flip it back and then you'll have peace in every way. The salutation of Paul with my own hand which is a sign in every epistle so I write. The Lord be with you all and then he says in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The Lord is with us by grace. He's with us by grace. We have peace by grace. Amen? Amen. amen. He closes with amen. You know what we all need more than anything else and what we all have more than anything else is grace. It's grace. We came to the Father by grace. The only way we can help anyone come out of that pit of despair that all lost people are in is by grace. We can't do it ourselves. See, it's amazing grace. That saved a wretch like me. A prodigal brought back to the father. It's amazing grace. 
that sanctifies me and makes me more like Christ every day. And it's amazing grace that one day will glorify me. And when I see Christ, I'll be just like him. Grace be to you all. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for the grace we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for our salvation, our sanctification, and our future glorification. We thank you for the peace we have in every way when, Lord, we're with you. Lord, we got some choices to make. We've got to be in your word because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Lord, so Lord, exhort us today to draw closer to you through your word. And Lord, help us to be the kind of witnesses, the light in this world, not busybodies, not gossips, people who work hard and, and, and Lord, people who live for you and work for your kingdom. Father, if there's anyone here today who does not know you, as their father. Someone here today who's still living in the pigsty of this world without your grace. Lord, I just ask today that you just touch them and just show them how easy it is to become a son of God, a daughter of God. Just simply receiving Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. By grace, Lord, we've been saved. And you're willing to save anyone in this room who doesn't know you today. And I just ask that they make today the day of their salvation. Father, I just thank you for all you're doing in our lives. And I thank you for our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.